happier place to be. I won't cry miracle. Maple syrup is the best. It's so yeah. good. Just be present with me and love me. I won't cry, Wow. 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 When they started doing this weird, hello. Hello. <laughs> The heartbreak of hearing something bad would, you know, is almost, I always prefer not to even have the conversation. Right. So it was a few minutes preceding that call. It was, it was pretty difficult for me. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grammaric Show. We are going to be chatting with Martin Sawa a little bit later about his book, The Other Side of Success and some mediumship and and a little bit of maybe self-help stuff and a bunch of stuff crammed in there. Fun show. Martin's a fun guy. Older cat, fun guy. And uh, we got everybody's favorite podcaster, Graham. I can't be bothered to come to the studio. Dunlop, how's it going, oh, buddy? Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I offered it up as an option. I would get in my car and drive over there at 10, 10 20 at night on a Sunday. No problem. Because of DND, who well, won the DND? No. Who won? Uh, we well, Cyrus? Cyrus almost almost Cyrus almost fell in love with a siren. Did he? Yeah. That guy's just yeah. <laughs> Does he know it's make believe? <laughs> it's right. It's right out of Lorelei. It's it's right out of some contemporary mythologies of like uh, stuff that's happening. Today. What does Mrs. Cool. Cyrus think of that? I don't know. About him falling in love with D&D fake girls. Do you guys actually have a girl playing or is it just one of you guys? <laughs> <laughs> is it you? Yeah. You're the siren? No, no, I'm the DM. So, <laughs> you know, the siren almost killed him. So the siren is by definition the DM? Well, no, but, oh, know, yeah. Interesting. Not really, but uh, sounds fun. It, it was fun. It was fun. Sounds like but you don't win. Nobody wins in D and D. Like you kind of win, sort of an adventure. But this you is know, it's not like it's not like me. This is why it sucks. Because nobody wins. What kind of game? Nobody wins. It's all. It's just always fun adventure, dude. Always. It's just yeah. It's just you know when they say it's not about who win or loses. Yeah. That's bullshit. <laughs> it's about how you play the game. Yeah, that's bullshit. It's about who win or lose. I mean, you have fun losing, but if you don't win once in a while, you probably wouldn't keep playing. Speaking of winning and losing, it's kind of like Martin Sawa's adventure through, you know, his corporate commercial sales and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a part in his book that he, him and his partner just decide to become developers and try and develop this massive thing downtown. I mean, the guts to be able to just switch from commercial real estate to like a developer and develop a whole downtown block pretty much, or like this core part of San Fran downtown. I mean, you know, we talk about manifesting and, and then believing in what you're doing. Like he had some incredible business adventures, you know, 
just throwing it all out there. Like what guts to do that, you know? Yeah. He seems like a fun cat. And I think it takes its toll. It takes its toll. I think on a, it's just, I think what his book was about on a spiritual side, like having to, to kind of not fake your way through, like that doesn't sound right, but you kind of got to really put yourself out there, you know? Yeah. And, and even if you don't know what you're doing, like just make it happen and pretend that you know what you're doing. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't know what he's doing, but it's, I think that takes its toll. That's what we did. That's what we did. Exactly. Is it taking its toll on you? Much smaller level. (laughs) Is it taking its toll on you? No, no, not yet. No, I tried to get a little echo coming through. Is that, uh, that's just your shitty mic. Okay. I tried to get, uh, yeah, you could turn the bass down and touch. Uh, I tried to get out to the mountains this weekend, but all the roads were closed and I didn't have any bolt cutters in the new truck. I should throw some bolt cutters in there. I don't know what the, here's the thing. I'm worried I'm going to unlock, I'm going to cut the gate. Bolt see. cutters for what? Well, cause they close all these fucking roads. The one they're not on gate until the 30th of April. And oh the my other God, one they're yeah. not open until June 15th. And the other one's May 15th. And wow. So I just want to open it, but I'm worried some motherfucker is going to head up there and I'm going to hear in the paper about some guy who went up on some road that wasn't supposed to be open and froze to death. Yeah, exactly. So I was thinking about buying a bunch of burner combination locks and I'll just start, go cut them all and replace them with my own combo locks. Yeah, but then what? Well, then when they want to open them, they'll just have to cut mine off. Oh, that's, I don't know. I mean, are you really that, isn't there some, do you have to go that way? Can't you go the other no, way? I to tried three the different mountains? ways. They're all closed. You can't get to the mountains right now. Mountains are closed. Is this, is this normal or is this COVID I, no, closed? No, it's normal. It's annual. Uh, you sure? I know one of those big roads is, but I didn't know all of them. Yeah, well, those are like the dirt roads around the big road, like the Highway yeah. 40, and then it's like all the not yeah. even highways around it. But the roads are clear. Yeah. They look good. Maybe I'll take the quad up. Anyway, how you been, other than d and Yeah, good. Yeah. The pork is phenomenal. Did you, take, yeah. you didn't take any try, did you? Sorry, what? The pork. Oh, no, I didn't. No. Oh. That's good, up. yeah. Oh, yeah. You notice the difference? Fucking rights, you do. Is it organic? It's, yeah, my sister raised. I don't know if it's organic or not, but it's just proper raised pig. Right. Not on shitty feed. Yeah. Delicious. Amazing. Wow, good. Yeah. Good for you. For me. I didn't raise it. It's not my pig. Anyway, um, Martin Sawa, good show. Fantastic show. Speaking of manifestation, we have a fantastic outlaw chat coming up this week as well with Owen Hunt. Is it Owen Hunt this week? Must be. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it's fantastic. That was really good. Yeah, one for the books. Definitely an outlawed chat for the books. If you're not over listening to the Outlawed podcast, you're definitely going to want to check it out and go have a listen to Mr. Owen Hunt. Probably one of the best manifestation talks we've had to date on either podcast. Fabulous chat. Check that out over at americaoutlaw.ca. And then uh, what else we get up to this weekend? Oh, yeah. We started more Rockfin stuff. Yeah, this is going to be fantastic. I mean, we had Tony Heller uh, deconstructing a lot of the data manipulation and the media and the government about climate change. 
and uh, they just the way they selectively choose where to to graph from or just even changing data from official sources. And he, he's gone through all that. He's been following it for like 13 years. So we get into all kinds of great stuff and show some graphs and some basically just debunking the climate crisis or not. I hate to use the word debunking, but what what climate crisis? You know, they always use all these the climate for all this stuff that happens, whether it's extreme weather or all these other things. So it's, it's a good show. It was a good show. Great chat. Tony had some fantastic slides. Of course, that'll pop out in the next day or two over on the Rockfin channel. Uh, rockfin.com slash Grimerica. Season one is a wrap. Ancient Mysteries and Lost Civilizations. That was Randall Carlson, Ben from Uncharted, Gary Wayne, uh, Flavor Town, and Amuru, and Christopher, Christopher McIntosh. Christopher McIntosh, five shows. Of course, the Tartaria one was a two-parter, but six hours, six episodes over on Rockfin. If you guys haven't checked that out yet, fabulous stuff. We will pop into this one, the last two trailers from season one, which was at, uh, I think in the last, I think we've done one. Are you going to put both trailers in there? I think we've done one, two, three, and four now. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So we'll put, I'll just put them both. Just put five, just put five just in put there. Five. Just put one. Yeah. And then we'll do one. Then we'll save us, save number six for last next, next week. Then we're going to have another one. Yeah, that's good. Yep. We'll always don't then be we'll, one then behind. We'll just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be one behind. That's fine. All right. Just well, in case we got to have a week, a week, you know, cause uh, the rock so fin's tough, man. It's on the weekend. We're doing that shit on the weekends and sometimes it doesn't happen uh, like it's planned. We got Randall on his birthday. Randall's coming on for climate change as well. We got Jim Lee coming up for climate change. Randall's this Friday, two episodes. Right on. Episode, That'll be great. Episode one, Tony Heller, episode two and three, Randall Carlson, a brief history of climate. Uh, as far as I know, this will be his, uh, one of the first video presentations going deep against climate change for two straight hours. He's excited. He's working on his slideshow and we're doing it on his birthday. Nice. That's great. Friday, this Friday coming up, we'll record it. It'll come out, uh, the first episode will come out a few days after that, maybe three, four days after that, and then the next one a week following. Fantastic. We're going to have a, Randall's got a bunch of slides saved up. We're going to go for two hours or more all about uh, climate change. So that'll be a hard-hitting set. Then we'll have Jim Lee. So, yeah. Never been a better time to head over to Rockfin, sign up, ideally through the Grimerica page, rockfin.com slash Grimerica. That, that is a good way to support the show. Yeah, you know, it's a if huge you go, show. If you, go, if you go from us, like slash Grimerica, and you sign up for free uh, or, or you do the paid thing, which actually gives you access to like all these other people, a lot of people from the union. Triple has you know? two shows Sam, on there. Or Charlie has some shows on there. Sam Tripoli, Jason Burmes, uh, Propaganda Report, uh, Whitney Webb, um, Isaac Weishaupt. I mean, yeah, if you it's decide basically to sign up for like that, they, what? If you decide to sign up for that, you get access to everybody's premium content. Yeah, which is a huge help. Uh, there's some interesting developments coming up this year that we can't talk about just quite yet, but. Uh, it's a good time to support the show. We could use your support this year. It's a big year for us moving forward. And uh, we could really use you guys to, you know, if you can't, if you're listening to this show and loving it, getting some value from it, 
We still do the same thing here where we do this show every week. We do it for free, always for free. Uh, this will be number 485 uh, free podcast for you because we love you. And we love doing it, and it's uh, easier this way. So if you're getting some value from this show and you like this show, and this is the only show you're listening to of ours, head over to grimeamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation. Um, really never has been a, a more important time to support the podcast, America.ca slash support. And maybe you uh, want to head out and check out some of our other stuff that uh, isn't value for value. It is still value for value because we still don't take any money from any advertisers. We keep it all sort of in-house. Uh, we have the new show, Grand America Outlawed. That's the show we were talking about before. We got Owen Hunt coming up. We've had Ben Grundy. We've had Legal Man. We've got some fantastic chats. We've got a couple of Ikes coming up there in the next few weeks. David Ike and Gareth Ike, both coming up on Grand America Outlawed. Um, so that's our THC sort of model, Grand America Plus. It's got uh, an hour free over there and an hour premium as well head over to grime america if you haven't listened to it yet just head over and start listening to the free shows and decide yeah. if plus yeah. is something you want to do there's i think 13 episodes there so far so there's 13 hours of podcast over there you can head over to listen to for free and decide if it's worth the six bucks a month six dollars and 39 cents you sign up you get access to all those extended interviews that we do over there we do two-hour interviews you get the extra there and then you also get graham reads some articles and some other cool stuff um, all in that Grimerica Outlawed Plus feed, which is all self-hosted and all that lovely stuff. So GrimericaOutlawed.ca, if you want to get some more Grimerica podcasts, check that out. And then we're doing the Rockfin thing, which we got through season one, and we were sort of humming and hawing, but it was a good experience. We had a good time. Uh, so far, we seem to be a good fit over there, and uh, we'd appreciate it if you guys, if it's something you're interested to, if you head over there and at least... Uh, at least give us a follow so we get a little clout over there. Right now we don't have any followers. We're kind of the low man on the totem pole, but uh, it would help. And maybe you want to sign up for a premium account and get access to all that Rockfin stuff. If you could sign up for us, it'd be a huge help. We're kind of pushing to to, to try and get to uh, a few subs over there so that we can start, uh, I don't know, what do you call it when you spread out a little bit? Diversifying. Yeah. And uh, trying to make this thing. Well, work. plus YouTube can't. I mean, we can't be on YouTube. So, uh, like outlawed, outlawed. They extended already got our non-publishing YouTube. on YouTube for two weeks. I appealed it, and they counted it as as uh, they they extended it. So now it's two weeks from today instead of two weeks from like twelve days ago. I don't think they liked my appeal. Wow, what did you say? I said fuck is that you. Oh well, is that? Can you say it now without swearing or? Can you say what you said without swearing? You just That's said, what I said. You said F you? Yeah. Yeah. Seven letters, two words. So there you go. That was your appeal, and they just extended it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It's too bad. So maybe you guys want to email in with some suggestions on what the final video I upload to the Grimerica Outlawed YouTube will be before it's completely bad. There's only one strike left. The Grimerica YouTube channel, though, flying under the radar. Of course, we did have to delete everything off of it and move all the stuff to Rockfin. All of the old vaccine chats with Dell, all that stuff had to go to Rockfin because, I mean, that's how we ended up on Rockfin was because YouTube started deleting all our stuff and 
Um, I mean, Censoring doctors and scientists, like the stuff. Well, not only that, we've got about a half a dozen friends in our group chat for the union and the Amwana that have had their completely YouTube presence deleted in the last couple of months. So it's nice to go to Rockfin. Hopefully it'll work out. It's working out great so far. Check it out. Sign up if you can. We'd love you for it. What do you want to do first? Your quota, your oppo? Whatever you want. Hmm. My pup, boy's choice? Yeah. All right. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week. Can you guess the human who spoke it or wrote it down? So this is one of those everydaypower.com spiritual quotes. It's a good one, though. Everydaypower.com? Yeah. What the as soon as you look at the world through from? an ideology, you are finished. No reality fits an ideology. Life is beyond that. That is why people are always searching for a meaning to life. Meaning is only found when you go beyond meaning. Life only makes sense when you perceive it as a mystery, and it makes no sense to the conceptualizing mind. That's Anthony DeMello. What? Anthony DeMello? Yeah. Huh. Never heard of him. I didn't even want to give you a chance to guess it. No, I would have never guessed that. There's no chance. No chance. No chance I'd guess that. He set me up. We got, uh, who's coming up this week? Burmis, right? Who else? Yes. Who's coming up on, on the OG? Um, on the original? Mm-hmm. It's uh, about Edward Casey. Ooh, Joanne DiMaggio? Do, yeah, Joanne DiMaggio. Didn't we have his wife on? No, that was... Uh, whose wife did we talk to? The, uh, uh, yeah, sci-fi, sci-fi guy, writer. right? I forget his name. Terrible. Yeah. Friedman? No. We had him on too, though. Huh. What, what, what's that noise? That looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified, too. Dishfire. Prism. Sidra Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. Operation Project. Project Operation. So this is a recent one. Oh boy. From March March 21st. And uh, 16 missing children recovered by marshals in the Philadelphia area. Of course, probably crickets from the media. This kind of thing doesn't seem to get any attention. You kind of got to go to official websites to get it. Too busy arguing about other shit. Uh, 16 children considered critically missing were rescued during a four-week operation that concluded this week. According to the U.S. Marshals Service office in Philadelphia, and at least four of these recovered children were connected to child sex trafficking. Dubbed Operation Safeguard, the initiative began on February 15th when a U.S. Marshals Service tax, task force took over 27 missing children cases at the request of other law enforcement agencies. 
These children were involved and considered some of the most at-risk and challenging cases in the Philadelphia area. The Marshals Service said, based on high-risk factors, including child sex trafficking, exploitation, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and medical or mental health conditions. Our hope for a better future for the 16 children we recovered, said Eric Gartner, the U.S. Marshal for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Our resolve remains steadfast in finding other children in peril. There you have it. So they saved a bunch of kids? Yeah. I swear. Four, four of them connected to trafficking. This is good news. Yes, it is good news. All right. Is that all you got then? That's it, buddy. All right. Then I'm going to roll into... Uh... Let's see here. What do I? Let's go with board one. Bingo, bango, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grind America We'll go to the Facebook page for this one, where we got, uh, oh, you know what, I forgot, actually, I still got to remember, I got our, our, our Facebook guy, Lee, quit Facebook. Oh, did he? Yeah, but he's making a burner account just to keep running the page for us. Oh, thanks, buddy. Which I mean, I I mean I'm, I'm happy that he ago. quit Facebook. I'm glad that he did that. Totally. What were you saying? That's what I did, too, years ago. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go to his post, which is, who has the news got you hating today? From Steve, the police. One of their own is a murder suspect, and they made an arrest at the victim's vigil. Turbulent times coming to the UK. From Hill, Jake. My news has me hating the fact that I bought into the lies for so long. I'd love to be able to put that blame on a single identifiable person. From Justin T., the White House press secretary Saki, I don't hate her, but I loathe her job performance. From Eerie Siri, I don't really watch the news, but they are trying to spread C-19 shit again to get us in another lockdown here in Australia. Oh, man, poor Australia's heading back into winter. <laughs> poor, poor bastards. Uh, from Donna P., here's a good one. Why waste your energy on hate? From Lindsay, the news and the controllers. From Darcy GN, the gay community fought for so many years to be accepted or to be free. Free speech, marriage, freedom. And now that same community is hating on churches and pastors because they're using their free speech. Everyone can't get along with everyone. We all have our views, so let's leave the common denominator alone. Leave that common denominator alone. Leave freedom of speech alone. We can all learn from other people's views if we like it or not. It's how we teach and how we learn. Yeah, it sounds like Martin Sawa's uh, opinion on the podcast here. I mean, we we get into a little bit of that stuff. You know, he was he was building his business right in downtown San Francisco. He went through multiple crashes of the economy there. He saw quite a transformation there, and uh, it's it's an interesting take. You know, he thinks that we should be able to talk about these things and respect each other while doing it. You know, but that doesn't seem to be happening right now. Totally. 
That does not seem to be happening. And we got, oh my, on from the YouTubes, oh my God, native guy, will you please let the bearded one finish his story without interrupting? Triple H is as bad as you. Is that me? P.S. I know your names. I just get them confused. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. We did break the 10K subs on the original Grand America YouTube channel. Oh, that's good. Well, I guess. I guess, yeah, we're at 10,016. Oh, yeah, we did a little rant at the beginning of our last uh, Outlawed episode, too. So there are some times when we can actually, I mean, mostly it's the guest on that uh, that show, but sometimes we can, uh, we have some time to fill, you know, a half hour or, or something with some rants. So we talked about some some great articles in there and some some of the more controversial COVID stuff that we don't talk about much anymore on this show. Totally. All right, I suppose that about wrap it up. Check out the Gramerica Outlawed stuff. Support the show if you can. Sign up for the newsletter. Spam Gram. Check out Rockfin. Enjoy this chat. Or actually, first we're going to play this Rockfin trailer with uh, Christopher. And uh, actually, the book came in too. Did you take the book? No, I put it up in your shelf, I think. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's Beyond the North Wind. It's a fantastic book about the... Uh, the Hyperborea and the North Wind, the myths and the legend, and it gets into rune magic and the Norse, the North stuff, and that's yeah, pretty cool book. Fantastic! I'm about a third of the way through Atlas Shrugged now. Nice. It's a fucking behemoth. Yeah, absolute behemoth. Definitely the longest book I've ever fucking put in my hands. Longer than Secret Teachings. Wow! Really? Yes. Probably by twenty hours. Wow, really? I, yeah. I must say you had the abridged version of Atlas Shrugged down. Now, this, I could be wrong because, I mean, there's more notes than I thought that I'm cutting in now. I just got another, like, four hours of notes. So, But I think Secret Teaching is going to, it. if it's more than 40, it'll be, like, 45 tops. Yeah. Atlas Shrugged is 60-something. Wow. Fucking behemoth. I don't remember being that long when I read it way back. I'm, like... 16 hours in, I think, or 18 hours <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. Fuck. Anyway, enjoy this. Uh, enjoy the trailer. The trailer for the Rockfin uh, with uh, Christopher. And then, then enjoy the fabulous chat with Martin. And uh, let us know what you think. The version of history we were taught was basically that civilization spread from the south to the north, that it all started somewhere around the region that is now Iraq. And then it went via the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and further and further north until all of Europe was civilized. So the the early inhabitants of northern Europe tended to be written off as primitive barbarians, And I remember the only thing, virtually the only thing I remember being taught about the ancient Britons was that they used to dye their skin, their skins blue (laughs) with a substance called woad. So I used to imagine these mysterious blue skinned figures moving through the misty forests of ancient Britain (laughs) and occasionally grunting to each other in some primitive language. Well, um, we now know that that picture is completely false, that um, there was, in fact, a highly advanced civilization in the north 
long before the Romans came, long before the the pyramids were even built. The idea of Hyperborea or uh, Tula, Tula or Thula, um, as it's sometimes called, um, <clears throat> goes back to ancient Greece to about um, the 4th century BC when a Greek mariner called Pythias sailed from the the port of Massalia, which is present-day Marseille, um, in a ship that, that probably looked something like this. And wow. he sailed out through the pillars of Hercules, the Straits of Gibraltar, and out into the Atlantic and up into the far north. And he came to a land which he described as a land of fog and ice, which may have been Iceland. We don't know exactly where it was. It could possibly have been Iceland. Um, but he, he called this this land Tula, um, or, or Thula, or Ultima, Ultima Tula, as the Romans called it. And this merged with the legend of Hyperborea, the, the name Hyperborea means literally beyond the north wind, Boreas being the, the god of the north wind. And later on, just, just a few years ago, there was another, another expedition which went there, and they found all sorts of very interesting things, like um, pyramids like this one here. <laughs> I'm glad you're sharing these slides because reading your book, I, you know, it's very interesting to hear that they're actually finding some stuff like that. In, in Pyramids. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, things like this and labyrinths. Now, uh, wow. labyrinths, labyrinths are very interesting because you find uh, labyrinths like this all over the Northern hemisphere. Um, and uh, in fact, right down into uh, the territories of the uh, Native Americans. All the indigenous peoples around the Arctic Circle, from the, from the Inuit in Greenland around to Alaska, Alaska <clears throat> and the various Mongol people of Siberia, the um, Yakut and the Buryat and so on, and the, the Sami people of northern Scandinavia, they, they all have shamanic cultures. Yeah. And um, yeah, as as you say, uh, Barchenko um, investigated the the Sami, and there was one particular island uh, in in the Cold Peninsula where they they had a, a burial ground, which was sacred. It was it was covered with reindeer um, skulls. The, the reindeer being a sacred animal in that part of the world. And um, he came to the conclusion that the Sami were practicing a, um, a very ancient sun cult, and that, in fact, they were the the original Hyperboreans. Well, <clears throat> now this is this is very fascinating. The, the, these are some um, petroglyphs, as as they call petro um, stone spheres. They're about the size of a tennis ball. And they are about 2,000 years old. And the interesting thing about them is that these, these markings, the, the, um, these uh, sort of protuberances on them, 
correspond to the platonic solids, the five platonic solids, which you see uh, below on the right, where the Stonehenge is on the left. Yeah. Stonehenge is a solar uh, monument, whereas uh, Calais Stones is lunar. It was, it, it was all like, it's like a kind of um, a, a observatory geared to the cycles of the moon. There are many Russians who would like to see the Russians as the descendants of the Hyperboreans. One artist, Alexander Uglanov. So um, <clears throat> this is one of his images of the way he imagined Hyperborea. So <clears throat> as you can see, he imagined it um, as, a, as a very ad technically very advanced uh, culture with spaceships and... and uh, other other forms of, of aircraft and these these fantastic buildings. The Nordic mythology says that the ruins were revealed to Odin, the god Odin, um, as he hung on the world tree, the Yggdrasil, for nine days and nights. So it, it was a kind of shamanic ordeal. Uh, one one is the the level of actual historical fact. And the other is the level of uh, myth and legend. And I think there is a, a sort of a, you could, you could call it an archetype. It's a, it's a kind of, it's a motif that you find again and again uh, th throughout history. Uh, na namely the motif of the, the faraway never-never land, the, the faraway promised land, which is, um, almost un, almost unreachable, but not quite. It's it's reachable by those who are um, have reached the, the the necessary stage of development to go there. All right, we got an interesting one for you tonight. We have. Uh, an ex-business tycoon, Martin Sawa here, and his book is The Other Side of Success, which is Money and Meaning in the Golden State. So thanks for uh, joining us, Martin. It was a fantastic read, and it's good to talk to you. Well, thanks, David, for having me on. Uh, really excited and looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where, where would, there's a lot of places to go, but I did love the, how you incorporated some open-mindedness you know, about the paranormal and mediumship and religion, that kind of stuff in your book. Because, I mean, you know, it was really, it seemed like, you know, the American dream. I mean, you're an immigrant. You 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 just climbed up that ladder, like, and it didn't seem very cutthroat to me. But maybe you can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, why you chose to write about, about this. And uh, I dropped out of the commercial real estate business about eight years ago. And there were just other things in life that I wanted to devote time to. And the the press of business, it's uh, very hard to do. Yeah, yeah. So I started, write, <laughs> I started writing and wrote a few screenplays and some essays. And then a developmental editor I was working with said, did you ever think of writing a memoir? And uh, I said, no. Uh, I thought that was just a little too uh, more like a vanity project. 
and uh, or if I did a business bio, all of that had been sort of said before. Uh, but then I thought about it and I said, if I do a true memoir uh, and I'm truthful, uh, that could be an interesting story. And that was the hardest decision of uh, how true to be. And I decided I'm either all in or not in at all. Was that cathartic? So that became the book and it took me. Part, part. Was that cathartic at all? I mean, was it tough to go back and relive all that? You know, all your uh, old relationships, yeah, really all your all your business stuff, yeah. And and on the personal side, uh, it's just providing new information to, uh, like, my daughter, uh, uh, my wife, others right, who right. just didn't know these things, and uh, a lot of them weren't pleasant. So it was hard. Yeah. But did it? Was it? Uh, was it cathartic in the end? Helpful? Yeah, yeah, but you can't do it just for that reason. Uh, otherwise, you could keep a journal. Uh, so there was also an element of discipline. I had to tell a story, and I had to structure it properly and uh, develop the characters and uh, the kind of things you find in fiction uh, to make it readable. What made you decide to write the book? I thought I had a pretty interesting life, and I knew a lot of interesting people. Uh, and if, uh, when you read the book, you'll see that it's it's not the norm of kind of what you would expect with someone leading essentially a business life. So I thought it was good to get that out there. and maybe help the readers uh, find a little inspiration on their personal journey to success. Yeah. That's what I liked about it is it wasn't your typical, uh, it, it didn't feel like your typical business sort of tycoon, you know, like you mentioned that movie from the eighties in the, in the book about uh, the stock market and all that. Uh, who's, who plays that, that movie? You seen that the movie? Wall Street. Yeah. The wall street one. Right. But you're, yeah. you know, you if, if, if I felt like you were, you're going on more like intuition. I mean, would you say that you, would you say that your business success was from intuition or business acumen or both? I, I didn't enter the, the field uh, like probably most other people did. Uh, I grew up in a small town in the rural Midwest right after my parents immigrated from Ukraine after the war. And then I uh, moved to Chicago on the day of my high school graduation to make money for college. And I happened to fall into selling household products door to door. And I happened to have a really great mentor. And what I learned about selling, the fundamentals I learned that summer. And I found out later that... Um, uh, selling high-rise office buildings or shopping malls is a difference in degree, but not in kind. Uh, and then I didn't get into commercial real estate right away. It was actually pretty late in my life. Uh, I was almost 30 years old and had a real job that I hated and was making a long commute. And uh, my wife was uh, then pregnant and I was broke. 
and I just uh, quit one day and got into commercial uh, investment sales because it seemed like they had the biggest commissions. And I didn't know anything about the business or what I was doing. It sort of sprang from necessity. Just fake it till you make it. I mean, <laughs> with a lot yeah. of effort. I mean, you put in the effort, right? I mean, you must account a lot of a lot of your success from the the sheer will and effort that you put in. Well, you have to do it because uh, I would. I basically considered myself a commercial real estate entrepreneur. You can be in the business and be a salaried employee working for an institutional fund or. Uh, working for a property management firm, but the kind of business that I started in as a broker, working purely on commission sales, you're basically working for yourself. So it's like starting up any company. You, uh, If you work half as hard, you don't make half as much. You make nothing. So it's it requires that kind of effort. Yeah. You think that's something that these new thought books like the secret and the law of attraction and stuff like that are kind of leaving out that these people are sort of falling short, just sitting home, sort of wishing it was so and leaving that hard work side of it out because it becomes easier. I, to I think that, it becomes easier to uh, fake it as you build the confidence of faking it. Good. Yeah. After you've done it, uh, you can, say how you did it and have the three, five, seven, ten secrets or whatever. And that's kind of what a lot of business bios are like. Uh, but it's really it's really the effort and the resolve to make it at any cost. You can learn the technical aspects. Uh, it's real estate is not that complicated. But like the Japanese proverb says, you fall down seven times and get up eight. And that's really it. And if you're willing to do that and set reasonable, tangible goals, you'll do quite well. Do you think that that, that work ethic is, is disappearing from our culture these days? It's it's getting harder. Uh, I worked with my stepson. This was essentially after I left the business, and he overcame much harder obstacles than I did. And frankly, his probably a more compelling story. So if the if the will is there and the resolve, uh, you could still do it. Uh, but there are a lot of distractions and just a lot of false information and it makes it harder in, in that respect. I really believe you can. Can you give us examples of some of that false information? Well, I, I try to stay off the internet <laughs> and not watch television. Perfect. Uh, That's great. <laughs> because all the, all the images, uh, the audio and visual, visual images you see on your handheld gadget or on your laptop, uh, there's so much noise and so much uh, fake fake news, for lack of a better word. Uh, reportage, as it was once understood, no longer exists. So it's hard to get 
at what's true and what's not true. And the people I've worked with in, in mentoring and business and uh, in, on the personal side, uh, I always try to find out two things. One, what do they believe to be true? And that's from the top down. Uh, and two, who do they admire? And that gives me some sense of, you know, where their where their focus will be. And then it's it's a matter of just setting setting tangible goals and raising the stakes and raising the bar. Did you uh, did you have any influences going into it? Like, do you have any? Um... The kind of mentors role or, models, or you mentioned the mentor in sales, but do you have any sort of books you read or things you recommend along the way as well that helped you out, or people you sort of align your thought process with? Uh, I didn't read. <coughs> excuse me, I didn't read a whole lot back when I first started in the business, and I relied pretty much on my what I call my direct visceral experience. Uh, putting skin in the game because you can watch uh, webinars, you can read books till the cows come home. But if it remains just academic or theoretical and you don't put skin in the game, your time, your money, your reputation, uh, and that's not just in business, I think in any aspect of life, uh, then you don't really get it. Uh, so I put skin in the game early and that's kind of how I learned. But I was also fortunate to have had some good mentors along the way. Uh, one was a Filipino-Chinese woman who was also an immigrant. And her and her husband were real estate investors. And uh, her a deal I did with her was one of my first deals. And she taught me a lot, not only about the business, but about ethical behavior and things like that. Uh, later, uh, when I had moved up the ladder and was selling larger deals, I had a mentor. He was a broker who, you know, sat next to me, but he had been a developer, made a lot, lost a lot, and was very driven. And not only taught me about the, more about real estate, but just the kind of drive it takes because that's who I'm competing with. And in, in the business I was in, you competed as much or more against the people who sat around you as you did brokers from other companies. Just the nature of the business. You had a couple massive synchronicities that changed your life. I don't know if you named them synchronicities in your book, but there was a couple business ones. I mean, that one time where your your buddy was in the Middle East. I mean, maybe and and everything changed. I mean, and then there was another massive one too. I think I have a note of it here before I. Um, yeah, there was that CNN thing, and then there was also that your your date that you met too that changed your life. I mean, do you want to talk about a couple of those crazy sort of mystical synchronicities? Uh sure. Uh, I, I think an early one, uh, and again, a synchronicity in my mind is some event that uh, may not seem like much to others, but fundamentally shifts your thinking, either as a result of coincidence or, or whatever. So uh, the when I met my second wife, 
she had uh, what I would call special abilities. And I began to think in terms of what I call the world of the unseen. And this is a world that, uh, uh, whether it be through religious belief or the paranormal or something else, there are people who can access valuable information through unexplainable means. And I worked hard to try to debunk it and, you know, read all the literature and joined, uh, subscribed to Skeptic Magazine. But even at the end of the day, I relied my visceral experience. So when, when it was that real for me, uh, I kind of ran with it. So uh, when, when I met my third wife, uh, this was after my second wife passed. Uh, and in 2006, I went on an internet dating site called Match.com. And I, I didn't like, I, I would, didn't like to leave my uh, profile up and would just randomly maybe leave it up for a couple hours. And one such time, a woman from, it happened to be in uh, Nantucket. I was in California, so it's about as far away as you can be in the continental United States. Just gave me a wink and then. Uh, we talked, and then uh, she said that she was coming out to visit uh, some f uh, family and friends in the Bay Area. And uh, I, I said, great, and we decided to meet up. And I said, well, I can, uh, you know, how would you like to go to a party? I was invited to us on a Saturday night. Uh, this was... Um, uh, an anniversary party for a couple I knew, and you know, a couple hundred people in a uh, event hall in downtown Oakland. And she said, "I wish I could, but I've also been invited to a party that same night." And then it turned out it was the same party. <laughs> so, <laughs> but she, now you're married. But I mean, I think know. you said, I think you said something like, uh, "Is it for so and so?" Or you you mentioned the lady's name, and I mean, she legitimately flipped out when she found out it was the same party. I mean, I think that was a pretty powerful moment for both of you. Yeah, and she she also had interaction through life events with the world of the unseen, but maybe not to the same extent that I did. So she just kind of flipped out, and I. <laughs> I flipped out a little bit, but because things like this had happened to me before, I just kind of smiled to myself. Can you give us an example of a few of the other ones? I mean, that's a great one. Now you guys are married, right? Well, well one, no, they, they were. For, they were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, another one in, in the world of business, uh, my... Uh, partner and I, uh, we had, to give a little, little backstory, about 1999, I dropped out of the brokerage business, and I was literally at the top of my game, just selling these large investment properties in San Francisco, West Los Angeles, on the West Coast. 
uh, which a lot of people thought was kind of crazy, but I was just uh, kind of burned out on the business and uh, then went through a period where I tried some other things. And uh, then one day I got a phone call out of the blue from a former colleague in San Francisco. And he uh, said that he found a deal in the city. It was a $35 million office building. And, you know, we should buy it. And all we needed was $35 million. Well, <laughs> to make a long story short, oh, uh, we wound up making the deal. And I said, well, this is fun. So uh, we moved back. We were in L.A. at the time. We moved back up to San Francisco, started a company called Urban Realty, my partner and I. And then we were trying to buy another property. And things, we just lost some deals, some deals fell out of escrow. So we found one. It was actually just a block away in downtown San Francisco. It was a trophy property. And uh, all again, all we needed was to find the money. So we tied the property up on the basis that, you know, we had the deal. And one of one of my former uh, people who I had done business with as a broker, he uh, rep was representing foreign clients, and he was in New York. So he, he loved the deal and, you know, right away said, yeah, we can do it. So we're going down the road. And then it's like just a couple of days before closing. And he's, he's, he's got nothing but silence from his investors. So we're getting like really nervous. Um, and because he's the guy that he's the guy he that says he's the guy that helped you on the first one, right? The $35 million one. Yeah. He, so he you kind of had the first you, one. So that, yeah. that one went well. Then this is the second one coming up, right? Yeah, but the first one was just for one of his private funds. Yes, yeah, and yeah, this yeah, one, yeah. And I had, I had a, lot, a lot of experience with offshore investors. I'd done deals with uh, Chinese, Japanese, and it's very problematic in a lot of cases whether they're going to show up <laughs> at, the, at the closing date. And that's what happened here. Uh, but to his credit, he jumped on a plane, took a red-eye back to... Uh, we never were sure where it was, but I think probably Riyadh. And he was supposed to be with the client right away and represent the deal. And another day, a day goes by, another day goes by, and nothing. And, and we're just we're going crazy back here. And because, of course, we told the seller that everything was fine. And then he gets his audience with the, the investor. And the investor tells him that, frankly, he just hasn't had time to focus on the deal and really can't do it. So he's leaving, as he describes, he's leaving the office. And the investor had a large uh, TV on the wall. Uh, flat screens were just coming out. And there was CNN News, and all of a sudden they're doing uh, a piece on the financial markets in San Francisco. And to, to visualize it, uh, they have a picture of our building. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
my, my guy started yelling. He says, that's, that's the building. That's the one. You know, that's the one you're going to buy. And now the investor sees it, and it's like, wow, and it's on the news. And, of course, you know, the amount of money is nothing to him. And he says, great. And he starts telling his, uh, his assistants to go and drop the papers. And we wound up closing the deal. <laughs> Just right so. down to the last minute. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But again, stuff like that would happen. And I, I mean, I was obviously delighted and pleasantly surprised, but there's always, always seems to be some, something at work in the background. So. Do you have any, uh, any hypothesis as to what that something might be? Do you think it's a, an intelligent design thing or a, common consciousness or is it something to do with sort of going with the flow and surrendering it, it, it all is a function of again the, the biggest question is what do you believe to be true if, uh, if you're not uh, a quote religious person and believe that all that exists it's what is scientifically falsifiable and that there's no other aspect or dimension to quote reality, then you're going to deal with it in a way that uh, this, this doesn't really exist except in the operation of your mind or there's some uh, anomalous, it's anomalous today, but eventually science will explain it. And and so forth, and that's that's how you interpret life. Uh, I was uh, I was raised as a Catholic, and then fell away for many years in practice, but always believed that there was a greater power. And then when I met my second wife, and she was very religious, she she didn't going for the ritual, but she would read the Bible every night and do her own exegesis and was my, became my not only wife and lover, but uh, spiritual mentor and moral compass. And the experiences I had with her, and, and then I met a psychic, and that was a whole different realm. And and again, I I said there's just too much that is real, and it's real to me. Uh, but that can't be explained, you know, by the scientific method or by a skeptic, so-called skeptical view. That I just said this is all part of the the world of the unseen and the ultimate reality. And if you believe that life starts at zero and ends at zero, then you're going to live in a certain way. If you believe that that may not quite be the way it works, and there is something after this physical life, then you're going to live it in a different way. And that's just the way I, that's my kind of top-down belief system and that kind of controls what I do and how I respond. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And the more I'm you're not open, sure if I answered your no, question. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the more you the more you're open to it, and the more you the more you would see. And I like the way you describe your the synchronicity and in, in something that shifts your thinking. It's not just a plain coincidence or synchronicity, but it's it's something deep inside you that shifts your thinking. I like the way you. That would make you for way less that. synchronicities. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's hard. It's interesting that you were. You know, in in business, and let's say in in big in big business, I mean that you were in San Francisco, and you're, you know, you're seeing this medium as well to, you know, try and reveal certain things or to get advice or whatever, and you're starting to believe in that, and yet, you know, you're in an industry that's probably very materialistic. I mean, what did the, what did your colleagues uh, think of your exploits? <laughs> well. Let me tell you, some of the people that I negotiated with, these are people whose names were in the papers. I mean, the people who control these mega assets, they're, they're masters of illusion themselves. <laughs> so when I, when I tried to debunk and study this, I, I also know a lot about the illusion in the world of business, where there's large sums of money at stake. But... I couldn't really talk about this to anybody. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's wh- whether they harbor the belief or not. Some of them themselves they'll never talk about it because it then it just kind of portrays you in in a different light, and that can be averse to your business interests. Yeah. So do you want to talk about some of that, uh, the mediumship experiences that you had that sort of made you think like, I've had this visceral moment that I have to believe what's, what's going on here. My, uh, my, my then wife, my second wife, Anita, and I were again living in Los Angeles. And this was right, uh, right before I dropped out of, uh, brokerage, and uh, Los Angeles. It's it's a very <laughs> it's a great place in terms of the weather. And I would rollerblade along the ocean almost every day. And there were big deals, particularly on the west west side. Uh, but as soon as we had moved down there, there was also an aspect where. It, it just seemed like a big movie set, and uh, so many people with illusions and delusions. So it was, and there's no perfect place to live. It's always pluses and minuses. So it was kind of a mixed bag. And I had never had any encounters with psychics, not not even a, like a palm reading on Venice Beach or anything. Uh, and there was something that. I saw an ad for a seminar this woman, her name was Mary Jo, was doing, and it compelled me to go. And this is, again, where kind of fate, F-A-T-E, fate, you know, has, has some influence. And so I wanted Anita to come. But surprisingly, even though she dealt in in what I put all all that together in the world of the unseen herself, she was very biblically religious, and the Bible doesn't speak well of 
sorceress or psychics or seers or spiritists. So she, she wasn't really crazy about going, but eventually I, I got her to go. And we went to the Hollywood Holiday Inn. And there's a small conference room, and there's about 30 people, and I had no idea what to expect. And there was a stool at the front, and this woman, she, um, she looked like a suburban housewife and came in and sat down. And she was, in fact, a suburban housewife, but she was also a self-described psychic medium, or she prefers to call it a soul intuitive. So she was just cheerful and happy. And then she told the audience, I'm going to go in a trance and my voice is going to change a little bit uh, because I'm getting messages uh, from the other side. And then I'm just going to speak to each one of you. And so we're just, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes and elbowing Anita. Well, after she goes into trance, she starts with the first person in the front row. And she begins to describe in, in specific detail an event in the person's life that you know, was kind of almost the root cause of their unhappiness. It wasn't generic and it wasn't a cold reading. It, it was, and the person was like flabbergasted. And these weren't all pleasant experiences. And then she went down the row. And now the, the crowd is just like totally quiet and they're <laughs> waiting to hear <laughs> something about themselves no one else could possibly know. And the, this happened. She got to Anita and uh, talked to her about the death of her brother years ago, uh, things I didn't even know. And then she came to me and uh, she kind of took it easy on me. I was dealing with some health issues and she described those and gave me some advice. And, and that was it. Then, so we leave, we're like shell shocked. And we get out to the parking garage and the first person she talked to, the guy gets in his car, he's so unnerved that he backs the car in a concrete column <laughs> and then just speeds off. So. It, that was an attention getter, and uh, I didn't have contact with her for months and until I dropped out of the brokerage business, and then I had some free time. So I devoted myself to studying psychics and trying to debunk it, and and I. I, the, and, and then I decided I'd want to have contact again with Mary Jo. Uh, she, by now, she was living in Florida. That was the only appearance in L.A. in her life. She just didn't like the vibe. And so Anita and I went to the retreat, and uh, she became a friend, and she would do a couple of readings for me a year, and they proved extremely valuable. And that's that's my uh, psychic story, including helping you deal with the grief after your uh, wife died. Yeah, well, especially that um, she she didn't she never tried to like sell her sell her readings and trying to like make money, and she cautioned me against overuse and limited them to just a couple a year. 
which impressed me from kind of a a business standpoint. Uh, and then, then and this is the midpoint of my book, uh, where my life totally changed. Uh, one night, we were back, Anita and I were back in the San Francisco Bay Area living in the Oakland Hills. And we're going to meet some friends for dinner. And I'm sitting in my home office, and, and uh, Anita's in the bathroom getting ready, and it's getting later and later. So I call to her. I don't hear anything. I go, I knock on the door, still nothing. I try to open the door and I can't. Uh, something holding it shut. And finally, I push my way in and she's lying naked on the floor. And it, there's nothing that prepares you for a moment like that. There's just nothing. And I, I pulled her out and called uh, 911, and the paramedics came and did all they could. But then they said it's a cold blue. And the coroner came, and an hour after that, they set her in a body bag, we were out the door. And that's that was a life changer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, wow. And then so, and then you went back to Mary Jo. So I, well, I, 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 I didn't know how to deal with things. The first thing was just I was, you know, thinking of you know pulling the plug, and I was fortunate because my daughter, uh, we were always very close, and she would kept checking in with me, and so uh, I decided that it wasn't the time yet. But then how was I going to deal with grief? And I went to a psychologist and she was helpful, but I'm more, I'm really more self-directed. So I just, uh, and then I called Mary Jo once the autopsy came in. I didn't tell her anything that happened. And of course she knew and said, you know, you need to get it together basically on the material plane. And then, uh, well, she did describe how Anita died and and why in the moment and everything. But in terms of communicating with Anita, uh, that I need to get it together first on the material plane, and I know when it was time to call her back. So for the next six months, I had a good partner because I just basically didn't go to work and put a big burden on him. But I studied death and I studied grief and all these things. And found we did this meditation, found a plan for every day that I could make it through, you know, to the to the next day. And then it was uh, one day I felt it was time to uh, to call Mary Jo. And I was like really scared and nervous because I didn't know what would what would happen. And uh, she, and it, it's, I, I don't know if, uh, if you've had any contact with uh, psychic mediums in this way and know how they, the images uh, that they get and the people that show up are usually not the people that you want to talk to. These are people on the other side. They, 
it could be almost sometimes strangers or people you had minimal contact with in your life. But uh, Anita uh, was there right from the beginning. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, you know, we, she, we reiterated our love for each other. And I found in my mind that uh, a relationship can survive physical death. Yeah. So did you expect to be able to talk to her when you went to marry Joe or were you, was that on your mind? Like maybe I can connect with Anita or was, or... Oh, yeah, well, that was, the, that was the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Was to try to connect with her. Yeah. That was the whole point, but I knew enough from prior sessions that it's it's not like I mean if you're a skilled a highly skilled intuitive, you know, and not just operating some you know fraudulent enterprise or something. Yeah, uh, that it doesn't work that you get to talk to who you have uppermost on your mind that day. Exactly, and yeah. so that was part of it. Yeah, and so I I wasn't frankly real hopeful. And then if if she did come, would you know would you know because our life had I mean she became my moral compass and my spiritual mentor. But after a period of craziness on my part and doing some hurtful things, so I wasn't sure what she was going to say. Right. Right. And the heartbreak of hearing something bad would, you know, is almost, I always prefer not to even have the conversation. Right. So it was, it was those few minutes preceding that call. It was, it was pretty difficult for me. Wow. And all of your, all of your wives were, all of your marriages were interracial, I believe as well. Do you think we're, and that was in the mid seventies, you got married. So 40 years later, do you think we're going forwards or backwards? This is such a, it's it's such a loaded discussion. Even the word, uh, all all of the words that I hear on social media, uh, including race and racism and, white privilege and social justice, all these things uh, have no specific meaning to me other than what the person on the other side <laughs> says they mean to him or her. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy, but uh, just to have a conversation, not, not about race, but about anything, I have a, a good friend. He was one of the people who gave me a praise quote in the book. He's quite involved in politics on kind of a nonpartisan basis. And he said it's it's almost impossible to have a conversation. He says what you need is people who have sort of mutual respect for each other, and you need some agreement on what is factually true. Right. If you don't have either of those, there's no conversation to be had. So in that respect, back uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it, it was uh, at least you could talk. And uh, my first wife was Native American. My second wife and third wife were 
uh, black. They were from the rural south. They had similar trajectories like I did. They packed up what they owned and got on the bus or drove with a friend to California uh, to kind of start a new life. And since then, I mean, today, my, my parents have both passed. My sister passed. Uh, my brother is the only kind of living relative I have, other than my daughter and you know my stepchildren as a result of my marriages. So uh, most of the people I know, family, friends, and people in business, who I did business people from all of the world, Chinese, Japanese, Middle Eastern, uh, black people, and Native American people. That's that's kind of my world. Uh, and this is a world where we all get along and we have common shared core values. And in that it's and it was it was it, we you know can talk like we did 20, 30, 40 years ago, but the nature of the conversation today, a public conversation, is so difficult that I just prefer, like I always have, to do it one-on-one. And I seem to have an ability to blend in with people of different backgrounds, ethnicities. And it was always, uh, I'd look them in the eye and feel neither superior nor inferior and just deal with them as a person and not a bunch of slogans on social media. And that still works, but to to have a public conversation uh, where you, you can't even agree what's factually true, or you don't have mutual respect, is is very difficult. And in my in my and I, I'm a, a native Canadian, I guess. I mean, my car. I just say Indian. I don't. I don't mind. But I'm uh, I'm I'm an Indian, and I in my experience, it's almost gone backwards in the last like five to seven years where the differences are being highlighted again, where I'm going on a construction site and I'm seeing posters with the black hand or a brown hand and saying, these are people too. And I'm saying, whoa, whoa, like 10 years ago, we didn't need to fucking tell people that. So I feel like, you know, this is a giant step backwards that we've got posters on walls again, telling people I'm a human. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult, and uh, now that I have a little spare time, I'm reading more and reading on how how it got to where it is. And there was just a fundamental shift somewhere in the after my generation of the '60s, where it uh, religion. Uh, was kind of thrown out. Uh, we live in a much more secular world, and all the the anchors of meaning were also kind of eliminated. And it was this kind of crazy postmodern deconstruction, which all I thought was just kind of a a fringe and almost uh, comical uh, worldview that has born fruit in uh, a lot of where we are today and has created animosities and isms and differences where 
they didn't exist. So it's it's a it's a crazy time. I never thought I'd live to see this. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. speaking of live to see, your parents escaped dictators like Stalin and real dictators like Stalin and Hitler. What does it feel like watching the last ten years of American politics? CD, you know the the PC culture and all that seems to lend more towards what what you were fleeing. Oh, I, I told my kids and grandkids and stepkids and relatives, uh, and if they didn't know it, they know it now because they've read the book, but. Uh, my parents lived in Ukraine in the years before and during the Second World War. And in, in, in my book, The Other Side of Success, I, uh, I made a trip back to Ukraine. And my father never wanted to talk about like, what had happened. And I, I, of course, I knew it, but not in visceral detail. And I found out that uh, they were at the epicenter of an area one historian called the Bloodlands, which is roughly the area between uh, Berlin and Moscow, uh, subject to Stalin and Hitler. And in the years before and during the war, it was the scene of the greatest mass killing of civilians in human history. And that's why my parents didn't want to talk about it. So when I see now like people saying, oh, he's like Hitler or whatever, it just, I, I marvel at how gullible people can be. What about, do you have any connotations with the sort of, do you, like, I mean, because you get back into the isms. I mean, you're talking about socialism and communism kind of coming to a head there. And now you see um, the West sort of getting ready to rip itself apart in a sort of that, that same battle. I guess this time it'll be more between capitalism and socialism and communism. I mean, it's really, well, it's, now, it's like a hybrid. It's like a, a weird capitalist socialist kind of thing already. But I mean, I think I know what you're getting at. What is it to come back? I mean, just a generation and a half later and see that sort of coming to a head again. Does that, does that, do you worry at all that, that we're heading, that history might repeat itself? Or do you think this is more of just uh talk? I, I worry about it every night. And I didn't used to 10 years ago. Uh, although I, I was, we had a, my partner and I, we had a large mixed use development project in San Francisco. And it was uh, on the edge of the Tenderloin. This was a major project, had a shopping mall, uh, restoration of historic building, uh, residential, other retail uses. So it was a, had a projected value then of about $400 million. And we're right on the edge of the Tenderloin, which was the area in San Francisco where you had the concentration of, you know, drugs and general human misery and homelessness and all of that. 
And it was it was crazy then. And today in San Francisco, uh, it's it's spread throughout the city. There there have been things on a state and local level uh, that laws that were adopted that basically decriminalized a, a lot of criminal behavior, for lack of a better word, and without any. Uh, almost without any remorse. So today, the, as an example, the San Francisco Unified School District of, about a month ago voted to rename 44 public schools because the names were racist. Wow. And, and obviously, George Washington was on the list. Uh, Abraham Lincoln which to the uninitiated may have been a surprise. But then uh, Diane Feinstein, she's the sitting senator, <laughs> liberal Democratic senator from California, which has been for 30 years. And before that, she was mayor of San Francisco for 10 years. So, when she's uh, being called out for racism, uh, I know this isn't about racism anymore, as again, as people try to conjure up what that might mean for them. But it's, this, is, uh, this is something that I never expected to see. So, and people say, well, you know, it's just San Francisco or, the, you know, or whatever, but uh, there's an interesting book I read recently called Skin in the Game. Obviously, the title intrigued me, and it's by Nassim Taleb, who wrote The Black Swan and other books on business and probability, and is a, a great writer and a great thinker. And his conjecture is, through human history, it, it didn't take a majority of people to make changes. It actually took usually three to five percent of a given population to who were the most who kept agitating and yelled the loudest and who caused things to happen. So it, you can't kind of dismiss this, and I don't know where it's going to end, frankly. Does it feel engineered to you at all? I mean, does is it come? Like we yeah, talked it's, to, it's yeah. absolutely engineering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you keep mentioning this, this has been engine. This has been in the works for fifty years. Yeah, that, okay. Yeah, it it yeah, just yeah. didn't yeah. start. Yeah, yeah. It's been engineered for fifty years. Yeah. You, you keep mentioning skin in the game and because I, I again, yeah, I've 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 been there and I've watched it develop. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like I read it. I'm like twenty years old, and uh, I'm taught in college that. <laughs> I, I could actually discern what's true or not. So, yeah, and and also in the heart of it. I mean, San Francisco. You've been doing business at a high level, right beast. in the right in the town to see it all physically change in front of you. What were you saying about? Skin oh, in you the keep game? mentioning yeah. the skin in the game. Can you sort of break that out for us? What that means to you? Yeah. The it's 
It's so easy. Let me give you examples of people who don't have skin in the game from a business sense. <laughs> let's say a, a company hires a new CEO, right? And his compensation is tied to quarterly performance and not the long-term viability of the company. So he engineers its near-term future to make as much money as he can. He has no risk, any risk on the downside. Uh, and eventually the company goes belly up or goes bankrupt or gets bought out. And he gets a golden parachute and he's on to his next deal. So here's a person with no skin in the game in terms of the game that he's participating in. Uh, another example is the person on, uh, if I watch, I know more about it, but on social media and is anonymous and jumps on board to shame or humiliate or try to uh, get the plug pulled out on their uh, site access uh, just for sport, just for sport. And this person has no skin in the game, no downside risk. And when, when that happens, uh, people are want to do what they can get away with. And there's no check or balance on them personally. So when I started out, and again, I could have got a job in real estate if, if real estate was an industry I had a strong passion for, uh, you know, with a salary or under some other compensation system. I started out on commission sales. It was a year before I collected a dime. And I did what I had to do to to make it. And my downside risk was for me, <laughs> pretty large. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just, uh, before we run out of time, can you talk us through the, uh, the time in 2008 when you basically foresaw what was coming? I mean, uh, you don't hear too much about that now, but the whole crash uh, with the, the housing, the housing and loan bubble. thing and all that, the, the big housing bubble in 2008. I mean, you, you guys were warning that it was coming, right? Yes. And I had been through bubbles before. When yeah. I started in uh, brokerage in uh, roughly 1980, and the next, that was, interest rates were like 18%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know any better. I thought that was just what, what they were. And then that bubble crashed, and then I sold buildings to the Japanese, and their asset price bubble crashed, and then there was the dot-com crash. Yeah. So I'd been bubble, I'd seen bubbles and was always conscious of downside risk. But the one in 2008 was years in building up, and I'd never seen one that big after I found out what the true extent was. And it wasn't easy. You know, everybody says, well, you know, there's a bubble and this. But if you have to put skin in the game, if you're a stock trader and you go out and, and, and go short, uh, there were people who were killed for three years shorting the market. <laughs> so it's not that simple to, rec to A, recognize and B, to time. So 
my partner and I, we, we thought we were set because on this massive project, our financial partner uh, had only minimal debt on the, on the properties and f- figured we could weather the storm, particularly because we're going to, uh, m- most of the value to be created was getting the entitlements in San Francisco. Uh, that's the whole thing. It takes sometimes five, seven, ten years to just get approval. So we we were we felt we were going to get them and realize the value. Uh, but then our partner he had similar projects going on uh, in a handful of other cities, and they 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 saw fit to refinance their whole portfolio. Uh, and that's something we had never anticipated. So our properties got lumped in and they were cross-collateralized. And that means if you have a, uh, a default on a loan in Boston, uh, the lender can come after all the other assets. So uh, the, the loan closed just about a month before Things really went crazy in 2008, and to make a long story short, uh, three years later, uh, as a result of default by our partner on the entire portfolio, they went into foreclosure and we lost them. Wow. Before we uh, let you go, what advice would you give to you know, people who are getting involved in, in anything, just, just general life advice for people in, in today's world. Well, in the world of business or the material world, uh, set yourself tangible goals, uh, which can be quantified and can be given a timeline so you can gauge, gauge your success. And uh, and be prepared, you know, particularly if you take the entrepreneurial route. Uh, the best advice I can give is a Japanese proverb: "You fall down uh-huh. seven times and you get up eight. In in the world of the unseen, uh, be clear on what you believe, and use that to form a worldview that guide your actions because you can be successful in business, but if it's at odds, it's not congruent with your worldview, then you're still going to be unhappy as obviously you see many people are. Excellent. Is there any other paranormal experiences that you, uh, that we didn't talk about or that you want to mention before we let you go? Uh, I, I think we covered covered the major ones, yeah. and again, if uh, if you put away the the nomenclature and just keep your eyes open and keep yourself open to evidence, and evidence doesn't always mean uh, you know scientific experiment. Yeah, and if you have that frame of mind, you you will start seeing maybe more than you have. Excellent. That's awesome. I love it. Where can people get the book or track you down if they if they want to get a hold of you? On I, I mean, it seems like you're not a big social media fan. Do you have a website? 
Well, I, I do have a social media presence, which I had to cultivate <laughs> for marketing the book. They haven't kicked you off yet. So if you go to my if you go to my website, you'll see links to Facebook and Instagram, and they're quite well curated. But to buy the book, uh, it's easiest to start at the website uh, martinsawa.com. M a r t i n s a w a dot com. And there you can click to buy, and you have Amazon or your choice of booksellers for print, for ebook. You go to Amazon, I've got a special on the ebook now, $2.99 if you're into that, and you can click and start reading in uh, about a minute and a half. <laughs> or you can buy the print copies, and they'll show up at your door in a day or two. Right on. So, yeah. Uh, any, any way you'd like it. All right. Well, yeah, it was a good book, too. Yeah. I really enjoyed the read. Thank you very the much. The Other Side of Success. If you ever want to turn it into an audio book, I know a fellow who does some narration. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I may take you up on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we deal with, uh, I think this is Julia, right? Yeah. Julia's your publicist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if it's up to drink to, just tell Julia to reach out and we can figure something out for sure. We're we're pretty easy to work with up here in Canada. We thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. And the book was great. Come back anytime, sir. See you later, Martin. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, that was fun. Bye for now. And that was our chat with Martin Sal. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, that was really good. You read it was book? really interesting. I, I I got a little more out of uh, him than the book, uh, as far as like you you asked some good questions there, which I didn't know we could get into. You, you know? didn't know we could. No, get... yeah, it was, it was good. You know, he mentioned a little bit of it in the book, but it's good to you know. It's good, good to, to have, have some of that cannon. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. So yeah. yeah, big thanks to Martin for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the few people, the one in a hundred, who choose to support the show over at grimerica.ca slash support. It's how we keep the show going here. Coming up in 500 episodes. I think this will be like 585 or something like that. Yeah. Or 485 coming up on the big show. We're going to hit uh, we're gonna hit 500 right around the eight-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nice. We could conjunct. Yeah. Another big conjunction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, grammerica.ca slash support if you do want to be one in a hundred and help us keep this show going. It is a value for value show. If we, 485 podcasts have added some value to your life, to your commute, to your gym, to whatever the fuck, head over to grammerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly or do a one-time donation. You can sign up for Stripe. Uh, of course, you can always check out our other podcast, GrimericaOutlawed.ca. That has a premium member section. If you want to check that out, sign up for that. That helps. Check out GrimericaOutlawed.ca slash swag and buy some cool shirts and stuff, and that'll help us get toques and hats, and it supports the show. What else? Rockfin.com slash Grimerica. Anything you do there, if you sign up there, that Aud helps out. Audiobooks. Audiobrain.ca. Got those Audible credits kicking around. Uh, and you need some more Graham Dunlop in your life. We got four audiobooks and two more coming this month. Uh, Godman and The Secret Doctrine. Yeah. So check out adultbrain.ca. Use your adult brain. 
I think that's it. Join the chats. Go to america.ca slash chats. america.ca slash social. Spam ground. We love you. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. I'm walking gingerly through the rat race. Take a look at the big old smile on my face. Kicking around down by the pool of narcissists. The people are many. They preen themselves. Oh, how they navel gaze. Somewhere over that hill, the gloomy skies cease to exist. I'm climbing that hill, I pass by and pity the poor Sisyphus. I go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light. I'm strolling down a static electric avenue. The people are predictable, they say, good morning, how do you do? When out of nowhere, a randomly pure angel in the crosswalk bumps into me. And in doing so, knocks all the evil and all the wind out of me. And it's black as tar, ugly as ever, and of no apology. This angelic mama sings heavenly of the truest theology. Together we're a seraphim dream, forever young with no chronology. A thousand years from now will be written into ancient mythology. We go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light. Can you tell me about the view up there? It's sparkling remarkably, the air is crystal clear. Well, please won't you tell me what it takes to transcend this place? A little bit of heart and a whole lot of soul. Take a look at the big old smile on my face. As my angel says, dance with me and your life will never, ever, ever be told. I go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light. 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 What? <laughs>